Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am on with a very, very, very special guest, Mrs. Ashley Pere, who is the CEO and founder of Own Your Worth. Own Your Worth is an organization bridging the gap between employees and employers. As a leadership and negotiation coach, Ashley gives clients the tools to own their worth and negotiate for what they want without fear of negative consequences. Ashley is a TEDx speaker with more than a decade of corporate experience in global human resources. She's been featured in the New York Times, Glamour, CNN Money, Good Morning America, and much more. She resides with her husband and son in Boston, Massachusetts. And of course, you can learn more about her work at ownyourworth.com. Her mission is to help women own their worth, ask for what they want, and be bold change makers who confidently negotiate for more. Ashley, it is such a pleasure and honor to have you on. How are you doing this evening? Hello, hello. I'm so excited to be here. I'm feeling good. I'm excited. It's a beautiful way to end my day today. <laughs> nice. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit more about you, maybe your career, hobbies, anything you'd like them to know? Yeah, I I am blessed in being able to really live my ideal life and career right now, meaning for most of my life, I didn't actually truly believe that like how I'm living right now was possible. And so I'm really thankful for the fact that I have my own business, that I've been able to work with amazing clients, and I love connecting with people. I love being real and honest and diving deep and building connections through my work. It, it just so happens that what I do is also what I'm passionate about. And it, it's a nice, beautiful, you know, dance and how I'm able to spend my time. So, I mean, I love to read. I love to go out dancing and have nights out with my husband and drink wine. I love to travel, although that isn't happening so much anymore. But I really love inspiring people to see how truly powerful they really are. So when I work with clients or talk with anyone, my dad used to call me a social butterfly. And so I've always loved to connect with people and be like, yes, like I'm an adventurer at heart. So if I talk just a little bit about my corporate career in human resources, I didn't always get to live into that full spirit. And I hit a lot of, you know, roadblocks along the way, even though I had access to salary data even though I had access to CEOs and leaders and managers, even though I was creating policies and programs, it was still difficult for me to grow a corporate career with confidence. It just felt like all the rules I had learned about life did not apply at work. And it was the lessons I needed to learn to allow me to be where I am today, but it was quite the journey. <laughs> Let me ask, because you said something very interesting when you started. You said you didn't imagine you'd have the life that you have now. Why don't you tap into a little bit of that? What was it that you didn't imagine that? Is it because 
you didn't see representation of that? Did you not think to go corporate or to be an entrepreneur? Touch a little bit onto that. And then I want to talk about your motherhood journey. Yes. So I was a, I am a dreamer. And as a kid growing up, you know, I was a dreamer. I always thought I would be a psychologist. I would be a famous author. I would be living in a beautiful flat in London. So I had these big dreams of what I thought my life would be early on, but I became, you know, jaded like many of us do over time between, you know, my parents getting divorced, me entering the workforce honestly just being naive like not knowing what I was really getting into and again feeling like even though I had advantages and privileges based off of this color of my skin my upbringing I had a good job after school it still felt like wait a second like I'm gonna either have to work (laughs) my butt off and Like, it just didn't feel possible anymore. Like the years, it just became a grind. And it was like, is this really like, I have to work this hard to make money just to pay bills. Like it just started feeling like life was closing in on me and, you know, feeling constricting instead of expansive. So that's where we all have to kind of lose our way or learn these lessons, sometimes the hard way to be reawoken and to realize like, wait a second, I do have options. I do have choices. I do have power. And, you know, I allowed myself to dream even when I was told no over and over again. Wow, that's so important. And we're going to tap into all of that because I think that's a big piece. I think what you're hitting on the head there, and yes, I, I understand that part of saying, okay, well, I had certain advantages and I had this and that. However, that whole process of thinking, is this what it is? I'm supposed to like just grind every day and live a, maybe a non-purposeful life and all the the issues that come with corporate, maybe not at all companies, but I've definitely had my share of experiences with that and being naive. And I also have helped with HR. So I know looking at salaries and being like, wait a minute, and realizing there are times I got duped or this and that, and that it's really just a game, you know? So we're going to, we're going to tap into all of that. But before we get into that, because you come from the corporate world, how did you decide, or when was that time that you decided that you wanted to become a mommy or to start your motherhood journey. Hmm. <laughs> yes, that was an adventure in itself because look, I, I I had my ideal dream life and career in New York City. You know, for a long time my path was just to climb the corporate ladder, make as much money as I could. I lived by myself. I used to wear a tank top in college that said stay single. <laughs> So my, you know, I was, I was not really willing to be open and vulnerable in terms of love and marriage. And with that, thinking about like family, I was, I was hurt in my childhood. And for a long time, I was too afraid to become a mom because I thought I would cause my children the same type of pain I went through. And so for a long time, so much of my life was about work that when I started owning my worth when I you know started my own healing journey the path to becoming a mom for me was a huge gift in that journey so not only was I bold enough and brave enough and courageous enough to follow my heart and passion with my work I really allowed myself to see that through healing from my past I'm different I'm who I am and I have the opportunity to create the family that I desire and being a mom I decided would be a gift and an adventure and the biggest perhaps like learning experience of my life. And, you know, obviously I met my husband at a, at a, 
I think I was 31 years old. And so timing wise, it made it possible. But for a long time dating in New York City, I didn't think I would get married. I didn't think I'd be able to have kids. It all seemed like a far reach. But once I decided that I wanted it and I gave myself permission to say, I want a loving partner and I want to be a mom, all the pieces fell into place. It's been an amazing journey. It didn't you know, happen right away. I actually had a miscarriage early on the first time I was ever I was pregnant and that was hard. It was, I guess the gift in that was it really solidified my desire to be a mom. So in that loss, I realized this is what I want. And any fear that I had that I wouldn't be a good mom or I wouldn't be able to have my business and be a mom, it just, it, again, solidified that this was a journey I was ready for. And luckily now I have my son, Noah, who is almost two. <laughs> wow. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I would imagine the mental aspect of that of saying you're coming into this place of not thinking you wanted to have children or, or going there because of you know, the trauma you faced as a child of of being the child of divorced parents, then you have this and you're like, okay, we'll go for it. Then you suffer a miscarriage. We don't talk about that often, right? It's not, it's a lot of women that suffer in silence with that. But then looking at, I guess the bright side or the silver lining of that of saying like, okay, you know, well, whatever the reason was behind this, but at least now, like you said, it's solidifying that I do want to become a mother. And I think that's so poignant in seeing that. And may I ask you, I usually ask at the end, what has motherhood taught you? But I really want to do a lot of having women understand or knowing what are some of the things they can do to own their worth and all of that. I'm going to ask you here, what has motherhood taught you now that you have been a mom for two years? What has that been like for you? Hmm. (laughs) It has taught me to really surrender. I think now I know what it means to surrender and to acknowledge what is. (laughs) really just this gift of accepting that so much is out of my control, but how I show up with what is in my control, like I have a choice and just being able to acknowledge my own feelings and acknowledge my son and his feelings, like that's been so, so powerful for me to be able to say like, I don't have to always do something. I don't have to fix everything. I can say like, yes, this sucks, or this is hard, or this is challenging, or I don't know. And you're crying, I'm crying, like, okay, it is what it is. And we love each other and we'll get through it. So I think it's really allowed me to, again, expand in so many ways from an emotional perspective and allowed me to surrender to love, which I think I avoided for a long, long, long time. Oh, that's amazing. All right, let's dive into your entrepreneurial journey. So you're in corporate and you're going through all these feelings, right? So you're seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, right? There's definitely great things about it. There's bad things. There's ugly things, all these things. When did it hit you that you were like, yeah, this isn't for me and I want to do X, Y, Z, which is helping women own their worth? I would say it was a long, slow process, but to, to realize like, hey, number one, I can do something else and I am going to do something else. But I think from the very beginning, I knew I wanted to change and impact corporate. I knew it needed to be different. But for a long time, I tried to make it work, right? I tried to fit into it. And I tried through my HR lens to be like, okay, I'm going to change something. I do have power. I can make things better. I can make things 
more equal. I can get women at the table, but I, I struggled so much with all the things now my clients are struggling with and me too, and some level different in terms of entrepreneurial journey. But I was finding that I wasn't able to make the impact that I truly wanted to, that I thought I was going to be able to. And part of it was the HR track that I was on. I felt like I was wearing two hats, sometimes three hats, right? I was had to protect the company. I had to advocate for employees. And that in and of itself is work, walking a fine line. And then there was the question of, well, what about me and my career as an employee? Because there's no HR for HR. And so I think I always struggled with that. I ended up joining a lot of startups. So I worked with a lot of early stage, high growth companies where I got tons of experience. It was a fast ride. I loved the entrepreneurial spirit of those organizations. So, you know, it all makes sense now. But at the end of the day, in having this dream job of mine in New York, it was when it finally hit me. So much of my self-worth was entangled with my career and I was feeling undervalued and unseen and underpaid because I had the data. And when I finally negotiated for a raise and was told no, that was the catalyst or the moment that I knew like this is no longer working and I feel awful. And there's something else that like I have to do differently because I can't just take another new job. It's going to be the same thing again. So that's what led me to realize I have to own my worth first and foremost at the same time, I was also pissed that I didn't get this raise because of, again, my HR insider knowledge. And so I decided at that moment that I was going to start teaching salary negotiation workshops. So in the process of me owning my worth, I decided to use my voice to speak up for what I knew and what I felt and share my story and share my HR knowledge in terms of I just wanted to help people navigate this crazy place and have the best chance for success. Because business is supposed to be like good for people and good for business. And I really want still, that's my mission is just to make going to work a place that's great for everyone, but also like values people. So organically, my business formed because I followed this desire and passion and pain of mine. And I realized after one of my workshops that with a line of women out the door waiting to talk to me that this is what I wanted to do. And so I worked with my first coaching client and I've been able to build my speaking, coaching and, and leadership business from there. And it's been amazing. Let me ask before I go into how the TEDx opportunity came and everything with that, because I'm a big employee advocate. And as you're speaking, I'm like, gosh, there's so many parallels. Even though my background is in accounting, because I also worked with startups, I had to wear multiple hats. So like I helped create policies and procedures. I'd have to do payroll or I got stuck doing conflict negotiation and you know mediating things. And gosh, it's so true what you said that there's no HR for HR because we do have to balance that fine line of making the employer happy because that's your job, right? You have to keep things in line. But also, you're taking in all this and these employees are saying X, Y, Z. And I know for me, going back to the owners and they think I was nuts, like, no, they didn't say that. I'm like, what do you, I've had five people in my office that think the company culture is, is this or that it's toxic. What do you think needs to change? I know there are some companies that are, quote unquote, doing it right. And I know for me, I used to tell them, like, it's not all about money. You know, some people just they spend eight, 10 hours of their day in an office. It's, it's not just money. It's other things. What do you think it is that needs to change? Yeah, we could do a whole podcast just on this. Yes. <laughs> I'll give you my two big ones right now, which is, I think, leadership. 
has to change. So what we define as good leaders or people who are ready to lead. I mean, I promoted in my career so many managers who were not ready and skilled and capable to be in a position of people management. But because the business was overwhelmed, because there were no good candidates or whatever the reason, or because they were amazing individual contributors, they then got promoted or because they had political relationships, they knew certain people, right? All these reasons why people move into positions of power in corporate is leadership in my mind. Without training and without intention, people end up leading like they were led. And so I think there's been generations of leadership that was done in a certain way, in a patriarchal way, that has just been passed down because it's something that companies see as a lot of work, and it is, but it's almost like a time or cost suck versus the business goals. So I think the people with the skill sets who are leading, like that shift, if people are more intentional, more vulnerable, more innovative, more real, I think that automatically transforms uh, culture. And I just think too, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to remember the point in terms of maybe having the communication, right? I remember one of the things I always ran across, and you're completely right, uh, as far as people getting into those leadership positions that don't necessarily, they don't know how to lead, and they just get thrown in for the various different reasons that you mentioned. But I know for me, it was also people didn't want to have the really tough conversations. And I realized as being a, a manager leader, you have to be able to say it in a constructive way. Yes. So that is my other thing that needs to change. What I believe is, is human resources, people management, whatever we're calling it now. I think HR is long overdue for a massive transformation. And I think given the pandemic, it's starting to happen. But Yes, the conversations between HR and managers are not being, in my mind, constructive enough. Like, this is what I'm doing with my clients. Helping either individual contributors or managers have real conversations about money, about performance, about feedback, right? All of these hard things that in our culture, we're not taught how to enter into these conversations. So at work, how do we expect that we're just going to be able to feel comfortable telling someone that they're not getting their job done and their jobs at risk. So I think separating out the HR functions to actually be a safe space to actually like support the company versus the employee, like there's some opportunity there. I 100% agree. And and I think you're right. I think the pandemic is showing that because it has no choice. You know, I think a lot of people are saying, well, people don't want to work. And every time I hear that, I always interject. And I'm like, no, 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 no. People don't want to work anymore for the BS. They want more or people had to survive and they're realizing, well, I can make it on my own or find other avenues to make money. I think we're seeing a big shift here. So completely agree. But like you said, we could do a whole nother podcast on that. And maybe we will, because I also think that's something that needs to be discussed, though. I don't think we discussed that enough of what needs to be changed. And I'm actually interested in hearing that perspective of view of what that needs to be, but that'll be part two. So talk to me about your TEDx experience. What was that like? Did they reach out to you or did you reach out to them? And what did you speak about and all the things with that? Yes. So again, when I decided to have my business, I, I ran my business as a side hustle in the beginning when I was still working in corporate HR. And I was testing things out. And I remember I accepted a job at my my last HR job. And it was honestly the best HR job I ever had. It was just too late, too late in my career. But I remember, you know, telling my the VP of HR that, hey, you know, I teach these salary negotiation workshops. She actually came to one of them. And so I had the support and a great culture. And But at that point, my plane had already taken off. I was down the entrepreneurial runway. And yeah, it was it was only a matter of time. And so 
this is when, you know, I had done, and I still do, Nikki, I still do so much personal growth work and healing through therapy, through all kinds of different modalities. I worked with a shaman. And for me, this is really important. And so this is how I relearn to dream and allow myself to get clear about the life that I want. In starting my business, I created all of these amazing goals of what I thought would be amazing to have happen. And so I wrote down in my journal that I would give a TEDx talk. I wrote down that, you know, I'd make a million dollars. I wrote down like all of these things. And pretty quickly, I think it was just a matter of timing and a bunch of different things. Like I had a photo shoot for the New York Times. I mean, I've been featured in the New York Times based off of teaching these salaried negotiation workshops. And then I'm in a Glamour article. And then all of a sudden, I get a LinkedIn message from somebody I had met once telling me that she thinks my topic of self-advocacy and women at work and negotiation would be an amazing TEDx talk. She was a facilitator for TEDx Beacon Street, and she invited me to pitch a talk. So I did nothing to get that opportunity except write it in my journal, and it came to me. And I did have to show up, and it was a long, arduous journey to write the talk. I didn't know people memorized them, so I had to memorize mine. I didn't have a, a prompter, and so you know, the process at that time of getting really clear about my message, even when I still had this fear, because it was early in terms of when I quit my corporate job and ran my business full time to when the TEDx happened. I mean, it was like maybe a year and I was still healing or detoxing from corporate. And there's a lot of fear that I would say the wrong thing or somehow somebody would, would come after me. I mean, a lot of stuff came out in that process of, of giving that talk, but it was an amazing opportunity and a way for me to get very clear on the work that I wanted to do. And so, yeah, I showed up for this amazing opportunity that landed in my inbox and said yes. <laughs> That's awesome. And it is an amazing conversation to all my listeners out there. Obviously, I'll put the link, but it is an amazing conversation. And we're going to get into the importance of women learning to negotiate and advocating for themselves. It's phenomenal to hear you say that. And I love how you you said, you know, I put it down in my journal, but then I had to do the work. Right. And I think people sometimes get misaligned that, you know, have this fantasy that if we write in our journal, that it's going to be like, oh, I want this and this. And I feel like life works in so many mysterious ways, because I also believe sometimes things might not be exactly what it looks like, but it's still the end result is still there, right? Whatever the journey is, but then you still have to do the work. And look how poignant that is to say, now you're really having to get clear, which I think is is amazing that the opportunity came because I think it did give you kind of the kick to be like, all right, I need to be on point with this. But that could only help you with your messaging to make sure be like, yeah, this is this is really what it's about. It's about advocating for women, having them own their worth and really getting down deep with that, because I also believe and I don't know if it's a cultural thing, why as women, we don't have that. It's amazing because I'm 38 and I think back and I was like, I think I had so much more confidence when I was much younger And there was a point and I tried to think of when I became so self-conscious because there were things that I didn't mind or doing. And then like this shift came and I just am not. So why don't we talk about that and why is it so important for you to have this mission for women to own their worth, to be able to ask for what they want and to be bold change makers other than on the corporate side of things. Because for those that don't know, I, I also, I know Ashley personally. So I know all the things that you are doing so outside of corporate, why is it so important for women to to understand that and to know that and to feel that? Because 
I guess I know the pain and the struggle of not feeling good enough. Yeah, and I don't want I don't want anyone else to feel that. Feeling not good enough or feeling unworthy or feeling unloved or feeling unseen is a terrible place to be, right? That's that's a lot of our shadow and pain, right? And the journey that I've been on to learn to love and accept myself it's been hard and beautiful. And I think it's so important for me to share like what's possible for people, like when they truly tap into their inherent worthiness, that we don't need to do anything to be worthy of love, to be worthy of abundance, to be worthy of our biggest dreams. And through our culture, I mean, this is part of the human experience, right? We, we forget as humans that you know, we truly are powerful, energetic beings, and we can create our reality. But part of this human experience is that we feel loss, we feel pain, we feel anger, we feel disconnection. And all of this is an opportunity to come back home. And my mission, again, has always been to like bring people together to inspire each other, feel empowered and worthy and you know, part of my upbringing was that my dad helped me, you know, I remember him teaching me how to lift weights and do push-ups, and I was big into sports and just like, I didn't feel less than until I remember like middle school going to puberty and boys were commenting on like this girl's boobs. And that started bringing up like, well, wait a second, maybe I'm different. And then going into corporate and being asked, well, Ashley, how old are you? Why are you in this meeting? Oh, HR doesn't need to be here. And having the external voices then bring up this question mark, well, wait, maybe, maybe it's something about me. So yeah, it's so emotional for me because it's really about healing. My mission is to help whoever I meet heal and be some part of their healing journey back to owning their worth. And, you know, I can attest to that because in knowing you personally, I am blown away by the fact that truly from day one, everything you speak about and every message you put out there and everything that you do, you have truly remained true to that. And I have been blown away and being inspired by what you're doing. And I'm just supporting you on some of these things. And your messaging has been that way. And I want to ask, because I'm currently in therapy, and it's been a game changer for me. And I had to tap into some of certain things of me of, of why I feel inadequate and why I'm having imposter syndrome and why I'm not feeling confident enough, even though I've been doing X, Y, Z. And when I think about it, I'm like, I'm a badass, but my husband has to remind me of that. You know, like when I tell him, oh, this and this, and he's like, duh. And I'm like, well, I don't know. He's like, no. He's like, hello, you've done X, Y, Z. No, that's, what do you mean? Why are you surprised, right? So I had to tap into that. Talk a little bit about that on a high level, what that work has been like for you. I mean, I'm only like, a, like 10 sessions in. I haven't even gone full force. And one of the things my therapist said, because I also was like, well, here I am giving you my problems and there's worse things going on in the world. No, she's like, therapy is just like a form of exercise. And there I was again, putting myself down that I don't need to be here to be doing therapy. So tell me, what that has been like for you? Well, Nikki, you are so brave and courageous to do that work. And I honor you because it is not easy and it is life changing and transformational. So your path in this journey is only going to lead to more peace and joy in your life, I promise, even though it might be hard in the beginning. So yeah, and thank you because having these conversations, you know, is what I love to do and what this is all about for me. So 
I've been in and out of therapy since I was 18, but it wasn't until I found a particular therapist in my late 20s that I really was able to do some deep healing work. And just by you even sharing, these problems aren't even that bad. Like with your therapist, it's like, no, we have to allow ourselves to feel the feelings that we have buried time and time again, or that we were told or taught by either our parents or our family or friends or culture or bosses like that weren't acceptable or okay. So in my own journey, I was taught that, you know, anger was not okay. And so I've buried anger and didn't show anger and right that led to people pleasing and disowning my value and my worth. And so I had to feel a lot of anger in my healing journey. I had to express myself and get to the place where I could feel comfortable enough to say, it's okay that I'm angry. It's okay if I disappoint someone or if I'm disappointed. So it's really, again, about making the space for these feelings. And that's the journey I've been on to own my worth because I was attached to money as being this path to freedom versus me loving and accepting myself being this path to freedom. And when we talk about negotiation or work and why we don't feel comfortable advocating or why you have to be reminded from your husband that you're amazing at what you do and that you have all this experience, it's typically because there's right some old limiting belief or thinking within us or trauma or pain that is telling us somewhere that you know we're not enough or that there's a risk right? There's a risk if we speak up because we might have learned that at some point. And so that's been my healing journey of just learning to feel the old stuff, move through that pain. And then as things come up in the here and now, move through it, like witness it, make space for it, and then decide how I'm going to take action from a place of inspiration, not fear. I love it. And and it's so powerful. And think about what we're doing for our children, Right. Uh, right. And that's what always gets me because when I am in there, I'm like, oh, you know, and of like the transformation and letting my son have a voice. And because I know how difficult it is to your point that we could hear 20 million people say all these good things. And all it takes is that one little, I still remember something a boy told me or two boys told me when I was in middle school, my I had boyfriends in this. And those two things have always stuck to me that I just replay in my mind. It's crazy how the, the human brain gets that, which now I understand why my therapist said it is a form of exercise because she's like, you never know when you're going to need it. And it's just a constant flow. So thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. But now I want to ask you, what are some of the signs of women understanding that they're stuck or not owning their worth or living in fear? What do those things look like? So feeling stuck can can look like a bunch of different things, but it's either usually taking too much action and overworking and trying to prove ourselves because we don't feel good enough on some level. So if you're somebody that's super busy all the time. To me, that's an opportunity for you to create space and a pause to try to get clear on what are you avoiding. So women in particular stay really busy to avoid feeling the feelings, to avoid the truth that maybe the job isn't working out anymore, or maybe the relationship isn't working out anymore or whatever that is, right? Or even sometimes maybe like, oh, I took this job and I didn't negotiate and now there's nothing I can do about it. And so sometimes if we find ourselves overworking, it's an opportunity to look at, okay, well, why? Why are we doing this? Is it to please other people? Is it to avoid how we're feeling? The other side of it is Maybe you're you're just feeling stuck and you're you're avoiding everything. So you're not taking action. You're procrastinating 
you're feeling like I'm not good enough. I don't have enough time. And you just avoid, again, feelings and also maybe the truth of a situation, which might be you're feeling taken advantage of at work. You've taken on additional responsibilities and you're not being paid for it. And instead of taking action to build a case and get clear on what you want to ask for and what you want, you blame yourself, blame your boss. You're too busy. You're avoiding right looking at that because it would mean, yeah, you'd have to enter into a hard conversation or you might risk. This was my case. I knew when I negotiated for what I really wanted in this particular organization, I knew the answer was going to be no. And that's why I didn't do it for so long because I wasn't ready and willing to accept that I was going to have to change my life, that I was going to have to leave that company, that I was going to have to figure out what the heck I was going to do next. And that can be scary. So when you're being really hard on yourself, when you're avoiding, when you're overworking, like those are signs when you're feeling like you're just overcommitted all the time, like these become habits that if we're not aware of, like it truly is fear running the show that's preventing us from being in our power and actually creating our ideal life. So those are some of the signs that, you know, if you're feeling every morning, like dreading going to work, it doesn't have to be that way. Like that's a sure sign. So just noticing how your body feels, noticing how you're taking care of yourself, like what you're prioritizing. Those are all signs that maybe something is off. Maybe you're not owning your truth because of whatever fear. And the powerful thing is that you can do something about that once you realize like, hey, maybe I am stuck. Mm -hmm. And getting rid of the self-limiting belief that I don't deserve this, or as you said, being so tied up in the title and things. For me, that was what made me realize because, I mean, I was making six figures, just to be completely honest, and basically walked away. And I was like, I, I cannot do this anymore. It's not just about that. I can't walk on eggshells because I need to leave early to pick up my son or get anxiety when I need to bring up conversations that are happening within your organization. And, and I can't care about it more than you. Right. You know, and, and having that limiting self-limiting belief that, well, then what can I do? And at some point I was like, I have to walk away. I was like, my husband and I will be okay. We'll figure it out. Something will go on, but I can't keep going along with this. So thank you for sharing that. Why don't you tell my listeners specifically of other services, things that you offer? I know you do private coaching, group coaching, and how they can get in touch with you. So I do offer private coaching for the women who want to go deep and, and deep and fast in terms of owning their worth, creating their ideal life and career on their own terms, especially for women who are first-time managers or even long-time managers that it's like they've done the job, but like there's something missing that's really, really powerful. And I run a leadership program called The Activator, which is a group coaching live program that is the exact program that I didn't have in my corporate life and career and that I have created to help my clients go within first and, and uncover their emotional journey. And then I give them the tools to advocate and negotiate and make big asks. So it's a beautiful program of inner and outer work. So the activator program is another way to reach me. And of course, I run workshops and, and give talks as well. So my website's the best place to find my TEDx talk, to reach out about coaching or speaking. And I'm happy to chat with any of your listeners. If they want a money tune up, if they want to see how their relationship with money or self-advocating is connected to their feelings of worthiness, then I'm your girl. <laughs> And it's interesting because I know that could be even, I think, a, a part three because, you know, that's another thing I think of when we think when we have this title and when we have the satisfaction when you get the title and you get the money and then that doesn't always align. 
And then it wasn't until I had my son that I realized, because I was like, one day I know I'm going to have a title with a C and an O. I don't know what's going to go in the middle, but I'm like, I had that since I was very young. I just knew I needed to be at the top. And I became vice president, which, you know, was there, but it wasn't until I had my son and I was like, yeah, there's there's bigger things that I want to do in that fulfillment that was no longer tied to my title or to my salary when it was for a very, very long time. I felt like I wasn't worthy. But then what's funny is once I left corporate, I've been struggling with not having that. And then my identity crisis, like that's a whole thing. (laughs) Yes. And see, this is where money is really just a tool to create our ideal life. And if you're chasing money because you need it or because you think it's going to bring happiness, that's the sure place of you feeling not good enough and stuck and and yucky versus like now, Nikki, like you and myself too. It's okay. I'm safe. I have everything I need. I get to decide how most of my days go. So how can I leverage receiving money to build the impact that I want to create? to have the family that I want to. Yeah, so it really is a shift in knowing that we create money and we give money power, not the other way around. Yes, love that. That is definitely going to be a quote. So before we get into my fun little speed round here, and this has all been amazing, I want to talk a little bit about, do you have a morning, evening routine? How do you get aligned? Because I know you're very mindful of your energy and, I, and I've and i learned a lot from you as well. I've set a lot of boundaries personally, professionally to really align myself so I don't get burnt out quickly. So tell me a little bit of kind of what that looks like for you so that you can stay grounded. <sighs> yes, I think my biggest practice practice is using my breath <laughs> all throughout the day to try to take many moments of pausing, of peace, of presence, of reminding, like bringing myself back into my energy. So grounding myself, especially doing coaching work, right? I need to clear my energy between the work that I do so I can show up for my clients and hold that sacred space for them. You know, exercise has always been a a powerful tool for me. I'm not the type of woman that gets up at 5 a.m. before her, her children and does the workout and does the thing. Like I've never been that rigid and I'm not a morning person, but I will say that before I, I, work. So I don't take any calls before 10 a.m. My mornings are still for my son, for me to be able to eat breakfast, for me to stretch. And I try to meditate and journal or at least one of those every morning to get in my body. And then taking again breaks, even if it's just to breathe or get up and go outside for a few minutes. And then usually closing the day with my husband and I just sit down and, and chat where he chats for five minutes and I listen, I chat for five minutes and he listens. So I reconnect with my husband and I love to read. So I try to close my day with reading, but it's more about being intentional throughout the day versus just saving it for a specific time because then I just don't get to it or I don't make the time or it doesn't feel like, you know, it's going to be the impact that I really need. And so I found that prioritizing myself Throughout the day, it works better than just saying, I get this time at this part of the day. Love it. Yeah. Especially with a schedule like yours, because you are giving so much of your energy to your clients of having that. I love it. Okay. So why don't we get into my speed round of some of your favorites here. You said you're an avid reader. You love to read, as do I. Tell me your favorite book or books. (sighs) Yes, I love... Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, of course, and Insecure in Love. That was one of the transformational books that I learned 
about my own attachment style and which allowed me to learn and heal to be able to enter into my now marriage and motherhood. So that was a really powerful one. But my favorite one right now is A Happy Pocket Full of Money by David Cameron, which has been like the missing piece for me around like all the work I've done around money and worth and abundance. Like he's his book is so powerful and it's changed my life. So that one's a fun one that I give actually to all my clients. Love it. What is the favorite item in your home? Oh, probably my salt lamp. <laughs> <laughs> really? Do you really feel that it works? Uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, just having it on uh, while I'm working or at night, it's just like the only light. I, I'm really sensitive to light, I notice. And so like dimming the lights at night, like setting the mood. So I think it helps me set this mood for yeah, me to ground myself or to be present. So more of like energy. We're in the middle of moving. So I think that's definitely helpful. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Who makes up your village? Oh, my sister, my friends, although I don't get to see them anymore as much as I would love to. My coaches, my therapists, my husband, and then my extended family, my, my team. So I think like on a daily basis, it's a small number. My village is small these days. But I know I can always reach out. I always have someone I can reach out to. And so I can't wait for the days that we can get back together and, you know, bring our villages together. <laughs> yeah. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? Any island. I'll just take an island with warm ocean, palm trees, like nothing else going on. Just an island to to chill. <laughs> but maybe the Maldives. Maldives. That's where I would go. Yes. I know I asked you what has motherhood taught you, but I'll ask you, what is your, what has been your favorite aspect of motherhood so far? Oh, man, watching my son be so brave and fearless and hilarious. Like he's just so, he's just ready to go every day, like full of life, full of energy. I mean, he's not even two and he learned how to ride a scooter, just like seeing what he's capable of because he's pretty much fearless has been like really exciting and just yeah hearing him use words and and being able to communicate it's just been yeah a fun adventure it's hilarious <laughs> yes and it only gets better especially being a boy mom hmm. <laughs> yes it only gets better i think sometimes i even look i'm like how have you only been on this earth for 4 years <laughs> You know, like, <laughs> they're amazing. They amazing. are. <laughs> they know so much. <laughs> they do, which is why I'm like, how? Any final thoughts to the podcast world? You are worthy. You are worthy of whatever you desire, of your biggest, boldest dreams, of feeling safe and desired and abundant. And yeah, you're worthy and you matter. Your work matters. Your presence matters. Your experience matter to own it love it Ashley it has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for sharing your journey for being so honest and open you know I know you touched me and I cannot wait to have this go out into the podcast world so thank you thank you thank you so much for having me thank you for joining me this week on the mama's no best we got something to say podcast this podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for an another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.